Amen. We began a series last Sunday morning, possibly only with two parts, on the subject of reactions. And last week we established that as individuals, we are all responsible for our own actions. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. And Romans 6 and 23 says, The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Point to yourself and say, I'm responsible. Nobody else, just me. Amen. And as a part of that, we considered how powerful free will and choice really is. And we also considered that many of our actions don't happen in isolation, and so often they are actually reactions to situations. Those reactions are influenced by external and internal factors, such as our experiences, our knowledge, our understanding, our emotions, and our motivation, or why we do what we do. According to the Oxford Dictionary, a reaction is something done, felt, or thought in response to a situation or event. And we began last week to consider some of the things and how we react to them as children of God. And we talked firstly about the Word of God, about how and the Word of God is so crucial to every other reaction in our lives because its influence in us affects everything else. We, we read that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, literally breathed by God, serves four main purposes in our lives, doctrine or teaching, reproof, conviction or rebuke, correction, which is to straighten up, get back on track, and instruction, which is training and education. And if those things are the cornerstones of why we have the Word of God, then we need to let it speak to us. Amen. There are so many voices in this world. Amen. And if the Word of God cuts, we have to let it do that surgery. If it confronts, we must accept it. If it exposes sin, we must repent. We cannot afford to be hearers only. We must be doers. We spoke about our reactions to temptation because our reactions to temptation can have eternal consequences. What should our reactions to temptation be? 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts. Take off. Get away. Put distance between you and those things that your sinful nature is drawn towards. While we're doing that, Galatians 5 and 16 says we walk in the Spirit. And if we will do that, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we do yield to temptation, we need to repent quickly, to restore when appropriate, and to separate ourselves. And we said last week, do not make excuses. Own your flesh and kill it. We spoke about offenses. We finished up with offenses last week. We, we all understand that nobody likes to be offended, that God holds us accountable for actions when we offend people, but he also holds us accountable for our reactions when we are offended, just as much each way. Offense is so dangerous because it opens the door to all other temptations, even the accepting of false doctrine. And hurt that is unresolved will cause you to justify your reactions even when they are wrong. The best way for us to react to offense is to view that offense through the lens of our own salvation, comparing what he's forgiven us of when we think about forgiving others. To choose forgiveness over bitterness, 
to value the liberty that forgiveness brings more than the chains that offense brings into our lives. Some of these things that we've covered overlap, and you'll see some of that again this morning. Amen. The next thing I want to consider our reaction to is fairly, there's a couple of broad subjects that we're, we're not going to cover exhaustively today, but the first one is spiritual opposition. How do we react to spiritual opposition? And to give us a little bit of, of a backdrop, Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1, says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had, that's we all, not some, had our conversation or our lifestyle in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. This passage tells us several things. The first thing is that we were all once dead in our sins. Spiritually, we had no life. It tells us that Jesus has quickened us, or whenever you see that word, particularly in the King James, it means made alive. Something is quickened, it's made alive. But before that happened, before we were quickened, we all followed the same path as the rest of the world, which was guided by the, what the Scripture calls the prince of the power of the air, much more simply, the devil. He is the spirit that is behind what is going on in the world, and he is still guiding and influencing those who are disobedient to the Lord. King James says the children of disobedience. And reminding us again that that is what our lives used to look like, directed by the lusts of our flesh, our sinful thinking, and our sinful desires. And because we have a sinful nature, our natural tendencies are not toward God, but away from God, in the same direction as the devil is leading the world. The devil is very keen to encourage us to act on our sinful desires and to reject God. So in a broad global sense, all of humanity faces spiritual opposition. The devil is trying to cause humanity to do everything that is opposite to God. I think we, we get that. Jesus said in John 10 and 10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. If you look around this world, you will see destruction, death, and everything valuable is being stripped away from the creature that God made in his own image. First Peter 5 and 8 says, be sober. That doesn't mean don't drink alcohol. It means be, pay attention, be diligent, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Amen. So the devil's, the devil's desire is to destroy all of humanity. And one, he feeds sinful desires. He makes sure that there is an abundance of temptation so that people will be kept chained in the bondage of sin. He uses a variety of things, but three things I want to mention this morning that he uses where he is able to, a possession, oppression, and depression. Now, possession is to have total control over, to own. Scripture has examples of people who were demon-possessed. People like the man at Gadarenes who lived in the tombs and when they tried to chain him, he would break the chains by 
the power that the evil spirits that had control of him enabled him to have. He was possessed. Oppression is to cause, to oppress is to cause distress, to cause anxiety, to keep unjustly under hardship. Now, if you have hardship because you've made dumb choices, that's not oppression. That's the fruit of our own actions. But when we are unjustly kept under hardship, that can be a part of being oppressed. And depression, in this sense, is to cause to feel utterly overwhelmed and beyond hope. Not all depression is from the devil, and we'll get to that a little bit later on, but he certainly likes to use it if he can. This is the big picture view of the world. This is the the view of, of what humanity is like across the board. But when people like you and I respond to the gospel, when we are born again of water and spirit, the devil has a particular hatred for the church. He does not just not like us, he despises the church. Because the church, if it's being the church, is salt and light in a world that he wants to keep in darkness and in corruption. And so he despises the church because the church is the only entity on this planet that has the power to resist him and overcome him. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4 says, But if our gospel be hid, which is what he loves to do, is to hide it, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God, small g, the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest or in case the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The good news is that even when the world's minds are blinded, that light can still penetrate and darkness cannot comprehend it. That's what John chapter 1 tells us. God is able to shine light into the darkest place, into the darkest soul, even into the life of a demon-possessed man who could still run to Jesus, fall at his feet, and find deliverance. Amen. We are to walk in the light. We walk in the Spirit. And we are to strive to not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We are to strive to reject temptation on a daily basis. We covered that last Sunday. But there are seasons. There are seasons when the devil specifically comes against the church as a body. Whether it's a local congregation, whether it's regionally or nationally. And he also comes against individual believers. Now, if you have the Holy Ghost and you're sensitive, you'll be aware of some of these things. There are church services where if you're sensitive to the Spirit of God, you will be aware that there is spiritual opposition in a service. You would think, well, how, how does that happen? Because the devil knows what he's doing. Some of those examples are sometimes we come to the house of the Lord and it seems like nobody wants to worship. It's like there's a wet blanket. It's just everybody's just like, you know. You know, you get us mixed up with an Orthodox church. You know, everybody's just, ugh. It's not just normal weariness, but there is a heaviness that can come. I mean, sometimes it's like it's smothering the service. The preacher and the message that the preacher's trying to preach can seem like they're having to push it uphill. You know, I can tell you as a preacher, those of you that don't preach, sometimes when you're preaching the Word of God, you feel the anointing and it feels like you're in what preachers might call the zone. It's easy. There are other times when it's kind of like, Lord, are you here? 
and everybody's looking at you like you're the most boring human on the face of the earth and they just want to go have lunch. It's not always because it's lousy preaching. Sometimes it's because there is opposition to what God is wanting to do in a service. Amen. Sometimes it can be evident when there is a much higher than usual amount of disturbances in a service. Everybody needs to go to the toilet. Every child under the age of 18 is playing up simultaneously. (laughs) Sometimes that's just life. We all need to use the bathroom. Kids are kids. But sometimes it's like, Lord, what is going on? There are times when we have visiting ministry and God is wanting to use them to specifically minister supernaturally to the church and there is almost a track worn in the carpet to that restroom. Parents, you need to be aware of that. I sit up here and I'm like, I'm having a bad spirit because it's like something down there is much more exciting than what God is doing in here. They're distractions. Sometimes it's natural. Sometimes it's the enemy in operation. Sometimes the devil even sends someone along to be a disturbance in the service. Not everybody that comes through the door is looking for Jesus. Now, I don't want you to glance sideways at every guest that we have. You know, they walk in and go, mm, yeah, that's who Pastor was talking about. That's one of those people. But there are times that when somebody comes into this building for the first time, I will know in the Holy Ghost that the devil has sent them here to be a distraction. And I will just begin to pray and pray against whatever it is the devil's trying to do. And often that person will not last the service. They'll leave before we even get sometimes to even the preaching of the word. That's not, you know, the pastor, that's the Lord taking care of his people. Amen. There are some times when we feel that opposition that I will ask the church to stop and pray for a breakthrough against whatever's interfering with the service. Sometimes, as saints, we need to be mature enough and sensitive enough that when we feel these things, we actively and consciously change up a gear in our worship and go on the offensive. You should never just go, well, it's just a flat service. No. You should put the clutch in, change up a gear and kick it and chase the devil out the door because when the people of God start to exalt the Lord, when they don't feel anything, the devil hates that and he ain't going to hang around. Amen. Now, I've said all of that. I don't believe in looking for devils under every bed and around every corner. But when we are aware of things, we need to know how to deal with it. Amen. Of the three areas that I mentioned before, possession, oppression, and depression, I want to say emphatically, I do not believe that a born-again-of-water-and-spirit believer can be demon-possessed. I do not believe that. If you are filled with the Spirit of God, God is not sharing a flat with an evil spirit. You cannot be possessed if you are filled with the Spirit of God. But believers can be oppressed and depressed. I guess the easy way to explain it is it's a difference between having something living in the house and something attacking the house. That's the difference. If you have the Holy Ghost, it's His temple. But it doesn't mean that there aren't spiritual forces that can bring oppression against us. And so while I certainly do not believe that spiritual believers need to have demons cast out of them, as in possession, there are times that there are circumstances where a believer may need to be delivered from something to have the power of something broken in their lives that they may have had for many, many years, even all of their lives. Amen. Now, it may seem this morning like I'm being a little bit fussy about terminology, but poor terminology can lead to bad theology. 
So we need to be careful how we describe things. You know, we use expressions sometimes in Pentecost that we don't have a clue what they really mean. We use church speak. And so, you know, we say it passionately, and because you say it passionately, it must be true. But then if somebody says, what does that mean? You go, I don't really know. I just heard the pastor say it. So, you know, must be of God. We need to be careful how we speak. Amen. Every born-again believer can have residual spiritual issues that in the timing of the Lord, He can deliver them. Not everything happens the day you're born again. But you grow, and as you grow, God ministers, He heals, He delivers, He makes whole. It's the difference between possession and oppression. There can be things that can bother us and trouble us. We're not possessed by them, but when the Lord's timing is right, and when we are ready, sometimes He's waiting on us, He can deliver us. As an example of that, someone may struggle with fear in a certain area, even though they're born again. My wife testified some time ago about a service where the Lord just, in that service, God took fear from her. She didn't even, wasn't even conscious of having it there. But it was there, it had been there for however long, and in the Lord's time, He dealt with that. Amen. Amen. And God can bring us in His time into a place where whatever that issue is, He removes it. He takes it completely away. Amen. And so we're considering spiritual opposition as part of walking with God and how we react. Two of the devil's weapons against the church are deception and discouragement. Both of those come through his voice. The devil doesn't usually break into your house in the middle of the night and assault you, but his most consistent method, particularly against the church, is to speak, to attempt to discourage and to deceive. We mentioned it, I think, last week, but right back in the Garden of Eden, he began to whisper to Eve, to plant doubt, to undermine, to question God. The nation of Israel, who were God's people, stood across the valley from one Philistine giant whose loud voice made an entire nation tremble. And then one shepherd boy says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And David said to him, you come against me with all your weapons, he said, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. Amen. You read the story of Nehemiah as he rebuilt the city of Jerusalem and the enemies that came, men like Sanballat and Tobiah, they, they constantly tried to discourage I said, look at this wall you're building. If a fox ran on that, it would collapse. That's a poor effort. The voice of the enemy. The voice of the enemy. You read the story of Hezekiah in the book of Isaiah, I believe it is, and how enemies came down against Jerusalem and that those enemies spoke to the Jews that were on the wall in their own language to discourage them. They sent letters to Hezekiah saying, who do you think is going to take care of you? Who do you think is going to protect you? Do you think your God can take care of you? Look at all the other kings that we defeated. You know, Hezekiah did, he took those letters and he went into the house of the Lord and he laid those letters before the Lord. He said, Lord, you see what they say. And God sent the prophet Isaiah with a promise of deliverance. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not natural or fleshly, but they are mighty. That comparison means that carnal weapons are weak and puny. That's not what our weapons are. Our weapons are mighty. Through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imagination and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 
So firstly, it is not a natural fight. A shotgun won't cut it. It'd be nice if spiritual warfare was just load for bear and shoot. But that's not how it works. It involves the pulling down of, the demolishing of strongholds, places that are hard to move. Now, remembering that our battle is not carnal, it is not natural, that means you do not get up in the morning, open the front door of your house, walk out the driveway, and suddenly there's a stone tower erected in your front yard. There isn't a stronghold there in the physical because it is not a natural battle. So verse 5 is letting us know that the enemy builds this stronghold where? It tries to build them in our minds. His voice. He tries to whisper things into our hearts and minds and he tries to set up camp. And from that stronghold, he attacks. Amen. But it is our responsibility through the power of the name of Jesus, the power of the blood of Jesus and the authority of his word to cast down imaginations. That means every deceptive lie and idea that comes from the devil, we are to take it and to cast it or to demolish it, to tear it down. Then it says every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That means any thinking, any philosophies, any ideas, any thoughts that are not what God says, that are in opposition to what God says, we are to take those things prisoner. It says bring them into captivity. We are to take them prisoner and we are to drag those things to the Word of God, to use the Word of God to judge those thoughts. Say, are these things true? And if the Word of God says they're a lie, we're to cast them out. Now, we all know that's easier said than done. But that is the instruction of the Scripture. We take those thoughts prisoner, we drag them to the Word of God, and we say, is this, does this line up with the Word of God? And if the answer is no, we need to learn to dismiss it. Amen. Now, I want to read three passages of Scripture. It's a few verses. I wish we had big enough screens to have them all in parallel, but we don't. Um, but these all speak directly about this battle that we're in, and I want to see some important concepts. So Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Brother Jonathan taught us last Sunday night very well from this passage, so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here, but it does matter to what we're doing today. Ephesians 6 and 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, his tricks, his methods, his strategies, his plans. For we wrestle not, again, there's this message, it's not natural. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints." Now, there's that passage in James chapter 4, starting at verse 6. And if you're a note taker, you can look at these in more depth when you get home. But James 4, 6 to 8 says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resists the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands. That's not talking about hand wash and social distancing. That's about consider your actions. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And a couple more verses. First Peter chapter 5. We've already read one verse from here, but we're going to give it a bit of context. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Amen. There's a lot of scripture there, and I don't know if you, if you want to keep your fingers in those spots and flick back and forward, you can, or you can look at it a bit more later in detail. However, last Sunday night, Brother Jonathan ministered from Ephesians chapter 6, and this passage, as some of you will know, uses the picture of a Roman soldier's armor to describe various components of the spiritual protection that we need to be able to fight the battle we're in and to overcome. We also have these passages from James and Peter. In James and Peter, there is an emphasis or a focus to begin with on humbling ourselves and submitting ourselves to God. Submission means I take my will and I put it under somebody else's. It means like Jesus said when he was praying, not my will, but thine be done. It means that we are submitting ourselves. It's not agreement, it's submission. It's taking our will and saying what this person's will, in this situation we're talking about the Lord, is much more important than mine. So we're to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to God. James even warns us that God actually resists the proud. That if we are proud, if we are exalting ourselves, that God resists us. That's a pretty strong warning. Now, the passage in Ephesians chapter 6 doesn't use the words humble or submit specifically. But if you are going to put on armor that comes from God, that's only going to happen if you are submitted to God. The pieces that are listed in the armor, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the spirit only come from God. So they're not, you're not going to be able to put them on unless you are humble and submitted to the Lord. We are also told in Ephesians to pray always, in James to draw nigh or near to God, in Peter to cast all our cares upon him. Putting that in plain language, it means get close to Jesus, spend time with Jesus, depend on Jesus. That's what he's saying. Then and only then, and this is something we really need to get this morning, then and only then can you resist the devil and he will flee from you. The word withstand in Ephesians chapter 6 is translated from the same word as resist in James and Peter. They all come from the same Greek word. When we do these things, then we can resist the devil. One of the most common issues with people struggling in spiritual warfare and opposition is a lack of genuine repentance, humility, and submission. That is, the, probably people say, well, the devil this and the devil that. Yeah, he's there. Your flesh is a far bigger problem than the devil. One of the most common struggles that people have is genuine repentance, humility, and submission. I'd love to say we can blame the devil for everything, 
and he certainly is going to get his just desserts when the Lord is done with him. But our biggest issue is ourselves. You see, the works of the flesh that are listed in Galatians, and we're not going to read them this morning. You can read them later. They're all there. The works of the flesh that are listed in Galatians are a product of our sinful nature. Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, and he said, these are the fruit of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit of God will produce in a healthy relationship with Him. These are the works of the flesh. These are the things that your unredeemed, unregenerated sinful nature will produce. They come from us. But when we allow them to operate in us, when we feed those, those desires, those lusts, the devil is looking for access points where he can jump on board that process and make that worse, make, it, make the hole deeper that you're in, make the addiction stronger that you're yielding to, whatever it is. So it's about us not giving place to the devil. You know, there's a little bit of a tendency, and, and I, you, know, you can disagree with me on this. I don't think it's worth dying in a ditch about. But there's a little bit of a tendency in a lot of modern Pentecostal charismatic churches to identify spirit of this, spirit of that, spirit of this, spirit of that, spirit of, spirit of nicotine, spirit of alcohol, spirit of all this stuff. Most of those things are works of the flesh. Now, when the Bible talks about a spirit of infirmity, I believe what it's saying is that the infirmity is the outcome of what that evil spirit is doing in that person's life. It's not the spirit's identity, it's its outcome's identity. To give you a little bit more to broaden that, you can disagree with me, that's okay. I'm not going to fight with anybody about this. But the scripture describes the Holy Ghost as the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of peace, the spirit of truth. Now, what, that's not identifying it by name. That's saying this is the fruit that it will produce in our lives, that God's Spirit will give us wisdom. He will give us peace. He will lead us into truth. And so when we see the Bible talk about a deaf and dumb spirit or a spirit of infirmity, I believe it's identifying the, what is happening in that person's life because of the torment of that evil spirit. It's not that spirit's name. You know, I don't believe, and I'm trying not to be facetious, but I don't believe the devil has an infirmity department and a deaf and dumb department and a nicotine department and an alcohol department. He just has evil spirits and they will get access to your flesh wherever you will allow them to. Knowing its name and address is not the issue. Having the power and authority to deal with is the issue. Amen. Now again, you may have a different view. That's okay. Your understanding may well be better than mine. Amen. But your level of power and authority in the kingdom of God is directly connected to the level of your submitted relationship to Jesus. The more you humble yourself, the more you submit yourself to Him, the greater the power and authority will be in your life. It's not about being some spiritual warfare guru. It's about being submitted to the power and the authority of God. Because when you stand against the devil, it is not your power and authority that he's afraid of. It's your father's. And the closer I stand to him, when I resist the devil, my father is standing right by me. His spirit is in me. That's what the devil is afraid of. It's the old-fashioned playground thing. My dad can beat your dad. <laughs> Our dad is bigger than anybody's dad. Amen. The spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Amen. If you're struggling with something, sometimes what we need more than anything else is not deliverance. It's a good old-fashioned repentance. 
and submitting ourselves to the Word and the Spirit of God. I'm not dismissing the need for deliverance. I've already touched on that. Amen. But when we are submitted to Jesus and the enemy tries to whisper into our hearts and minds, we do what Jesus did. We say, it is written. It is written. We take his lies, his deception, his discouragement. We drag it to the Word of God and we put it on trial. So is this true? This is a lie. Amen. And even when it affects how we feel about the situation or ourselves, when we resist, when we withstand, he must flee. That lion can roar very loudly sometimes, but he's still a liar, no matter how loud he roars. He's still a liar. Amen. You know, sometimes you've just got to stand and trust that God is with you. You never batter, ever had a battle of wills with something? Every parent knows what it's like when your children are growing up and you want them to do something and they don't want to do it. Sometimes there's a bit of a standoff there. Anybody had kids remember those experiences? Now, if you're a parent and you've got any sense, you don't lose that battle because whoever yields serves the other one. So when we stand against the devil, we say, Jesus is with me. I'm not yielding. I'm not budging. You are the one that has to flee. That's what the Word of God says. And when he flees, it's because we've resisted him, because we are submitted to the power and the authority of the Lord. Amen. So how do we... My goodness, look at the time. How do we react to spiritual opposition? We humble ourselves, submit ourselves to God, and we resist. If there are things that we need deliverance from, God can do that. There are fears or whatever it may be. Any residual spiritual issues that we may have brought with us when we were born again, God can and will deliver you from those things. Amen. And the last thing I want to consider this morning, I'm a little hesitant to go with because it's complex and I'm not qualified or professional or an expert in any kind of way. I'm putting that disclaimer out there. But I want us to speak about how we react to depression. How we react to depression. These thoughts have been in my heart and my mind for the last few weeks and there's been quite a lot going on nationally in the National Church about mental health and the National Youth Department have been focusing on that recently. But again, for the sake of being repetitive, I am not an expert. So please don't go home thinking, Pastor knows exactly what he's talking about. If I just do what he said, everything will be fine. I need to... The Lord knows exactly what he's doing, not the pastor. Okay, amen. Some of these are comments and things that I've collected from other people who are far more experienced than I am. But if depression is something that you struggle with or that someone you know and care about struggles with, there are resources that can help. And I, I can direct you to some of those. I, I'm not, again, I don't have a huge range, but I can certainly direct you to people that can help you with that. So, again, I'm, this is repetitive, but please do not take these thoughts and comments and say, Pastor said it has to be like this. Or it has to be like that. You have to do this. I have to do that. But I did refer earlier to depression being something that the devil uses. Now, again, to be clear, all depression is not caused by the devil. Depression comes from a variety of avenues. But when we are down, when we are down, there is nothing he likes more than to try to kick us while we are down, try to keep us down, and not let us get back up. Depression is sometimes described as periods of time where we have feelings of sadness, feeling down and low, overwhelmed, 
We lose interest in life and what is going on around us. Depression can range from chronic depressive disorders, where it is a regular or even constant part of someone's life, regardless of what is going on, to situational depression or depression that is a product of things that are going on and happening in and around our lives. We experience things such as the loss of a loved one, loss of a job, a broken relationship, problems we can't find a solution for. Sometimes that's called situational depression. It's a response to some circumstances. There are some people who believe that Christians should not experience depression. And they may be well-intentioned, but I don't believe that's accurate. It's not difficult to examine the scriptures and see evidence of great men and women of God who went through seasons of what nowadays we would call low mood. If you read the Psalms, there's a lot of stuff in the Psalms that speak about being overwhelmed, that speak about, you know, we would say going down for the last time, of having no hope, of being in a bleak place. And and this is the inspired word of God. It's given to us for a reason. Amen. Amen. But Christians do need to consider how we respond to depression. First thing I want to say very clearly is if you are experiencing depression or have experienced depression, it does not mean you are backslidden. You are not far from God if you're experiencing depression. And sometimes that's what we think. We think, "Um, you know, I must need to pray more. Well, maybe you do, but, but being depressed, you know, is not a statement that I'm backslidden or I've fallen away from God. Because our relationship with God is about faith, not feelings. Faith is about trust. Faith is about whatever's going on, I trust God. Amen. So please do not let the devil whisper in your ear and say you're depressed, therefore you're backslidden. That is one of his lies. Amen. Some of the thoughts that I will share this morning come from uh, a preacher by the name of Brother Carlton Kuhn, who is a man of God. He's a pastor. He's an elder, he's an older man, he has been a national church leader in his nation and he has battled depression significantly in his life even to the point of having a depression disorder. He has written about it and he's asked to teach about it when he travels and if you're interested in getting a hold of his book, I believe it's called Light in a Dark Place or something of that nature. I can give you those exact details. Depression can have very physical factors, very physical factors. When you go to see a counsellor about depression, or any other area of mental health, they will often send you for a medical checkup, including a range of blood tests. Things such as iron levels, various vitamin levels, thyroid illnesses, and on and on and on, can have a very powerful impact on your mental well-being. Not everything is spiritual. We like to spiritualize everything. But these bodies are intricately designed and made, and all of our systems influence each other. Amen. There are also some personality types that are more susceptible to depression. People who have more intense personalities, who consider things very deeply, who have melancholy personality traits can often become depressed more easily than those people that just seem to skim across the surface of life, never needing anything more than an occasional snorkel. And so sometimes our personality types can can make us more susceptible. We need to understand that there are situations, and I'm I'm covering a a variety of areas, but there are situations where in a very carefully monitored and professional environment, medication has a role to play in helping people with mental health issues. Uh, I'm saying that very carefully. Just as you may need iron supplements to achieve normal function, 
you may need to supplement a chemical that's in short supply in your brain to be able to function normally. Let me see. In my notes, this is in all caps and it's bold. Great care must be taken. We have to be very careful about that. We need to approach it with wisdom. We should be very careful about addictive tendencies. But you need to understand when somebody is, when medication is involved in somebody's care, it's not about getting high. It's not about taking pills to make you happy. That's not what it's about. It's about restoring some balance so that you are able to regulate your thinking and responses. Again, I am light years away from having any qualification in this field. But we need to be careful that we don't have this anti-medication approach to life. If you break your leg and they offer you an anesthetic when they reset it, are you going to take the anesthetic? If you say, no, I'm coming to watch, that's going to be fun. But when we need something adjusted in the levels in our body, we take medication. Now, again, we've got to be careful. You need to get good advice. You need to be prayerful. You need to be careful. I have a very good friend who is a man of God. He's a pastor of a church who is experiencing serious episodes of mental illness. And he was prescribed a low-dosage medication for a short season that simply allowed him, and the words we used in my conversations with him was, to have enough space in his mind to be able to objectively look at things and react in a healthy manner. That is the goal. It's not about happy tablets. It's about being able to react in a healthy fashion. Again, great care, professional assistance. Amen. One of the real struggles with depression is the feelings of not wanting to do anything, not wanting to see anybody. The dishes are piling up in the sink. You want to stay in your pajamas all day. You don't eat anything, or when you do eat, it's just pure junk. Chocolate is not the answer. It feels like it is at the time, but chocolate is not the answer. Amen. You may go to work and perform there, but then you might come home and sit on the couch for hours doing nothing. These feelings are real. They can overwhelm you. They can consume you. But what you need to know is that you can fight. You can fight against it. It is not easy. Please do not go home and say, the pastor said I just need to put in 30 seconds of effort and the sun will come out. It's not what I'm saying. But you can fight. Amen. Because if you do not fight, that depression can become your identity. And it is your struggle. It is not your identity. It is not who you are. And there are some ways that you can react that can help you to fight back. And again, not an expert. I feel like I should be wearing a T-shirt that says, not an expert. But these are some of the things that, that I heard Brother Kuhn talk about recently. I listened to him on a podcast recently. And one of the first things that a lot of people say when you're dealing with depression is, you need to move. You need to move. They say that 30 minutes of moderate physical activity doesn't have to be a gym membership. It can be something like working in the garden. 30 minutes of moderate physical activity can have the same benefit as low-level medications can in your brain. Someone said that even a slow go is better than a no-go. So just move a little bit. You know, don't join the Olympic team. Just show some signs of life. You know, when your kids are asleep, you sneak over and lift their arm up and let it drop. Yeah, they're asleep. They're gone. Show some signs of life. Amen. See, this diet matters. 
I got one amen. I knew that one would go over like a lead balloon. But diet matters. If you are depressed, KFC and chocolate and Coke is not going to help. We are a product of what we eat. I'm not standing up here as an Olympic athlete saying, I'm, you know, but what I'm saying is what we eat affects us, affects our moods, affects our minds. Our bodies are all connected. Diet matters. Don't, come to, don't invite me to meet you at KFC because you want to have a chat about your depression. I don't mind a bit of KFC from time to time. Sleep matters. Poor quality or insufficient sleep can have a powerful mental impact. You're not a hero if you say, I can you know, I will get three hours sleep a night and work all day. You're going to hit a wall. Again, talking to parents, little kids. How do your little kids respond to life when they're underslept or their sleep's been broken? They're impossible to handle. What they need more than anything else is a feed, maybe a little bit of love, and a nap. Guess what, adults, we're the same. Some of you need to hide in a nap too. And maybe a feed, not KFC. But sleep matters. Healthy sleep is directly connected to mental health. Listen, I think I've shared this before, but I listened to a preacher who's also a professional counsel talk about a married couple that came to him. The, the, the wife was having all kinds of issues. She was struggling with all kinds. She was a, falsely accusing her husband of all kinds of things. It was like she was having hallucinations. And he said, to the first question he said was, when, how long since you slept? And for whatever reason, it had been days. She'd been awake for days and before that had had broke, lots of broken sleep. And he didn't say, I'm going to lay hands on you and prophesy over you. He said, go to the chemist, get the strongest sleep medication I'll give you over the counter, go home, block out the windows and go to sleep. And after a couple of days of healthy sleep, her husband was a nice guy again. Because the rest had helped her mental state. Some of these, you know, there's a reason the Lord instituted rest. He wants us to be laborers. He, he didn't say, pray ye the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth slackers. He said that he would send forth laborers. We need to be faithful. We need to be workers. We need to be good stewards. But we also need to take care of ourselves. You know, those statistics that Brother Peter read. When I became the pastor, I was about 35, 36 years of age. And I thought, Lord... I have to approach this responsibility as if I'm going to be doing this for 30 years. And I need to plan like I'm going to last that long. So I'll let you in on a secret. There are some days that I just go, I'm not doing a whole lot today. Now, if you think that's bad, you can pray for me that the Lord would challenge me. But there are just some days I think, I'm just having a little time where, you know, Brother Frost gets on my case if I don't. But we need to rest. It's connected to your well-being. Amen. Again, some of these are coming from Brother Carlton Coon, so if you don't like them, I'm just the mailman. Isolation. When you are depressed, isolation is what we feel like doing, but it is the worst thing for us. It is the worst thing for us. As hard as it may be, get up, get to church. Be in fellowship with family, natural and spiritual. You may not engage in conversation. You may just sit there like an ornament, but be around people that care about you. Isolation is what you want to do. Leave me alone. Leave me in a dark room by myself. But it is the wrong thing. It makes it worse. Again, I'm not saying that's easy. But get up, get dressed. You know, 
it, as weird as this is, it helps mental health to get up in the morning, wash your face, brush your teeth, comb your hair. Get ready for the day. Even if the day doesn't have much on, there's something about how that affects us mentally. Depression can make you feel consumed by the moment. This is all my life is. This, this lowness, I have no past, I have no future, I'm never coming out of this. Depression can make you feel like that. We, one of the things that Brother Kuhn said that he does is he challenges that thinking by looking back on happy memories, going through photo albums, home videos, looking back at happy things that have happened, but then also looking ahead to things that are planned, things he has to prepare for, events he's looking forward to, to help him to realize he's not in a hole that he has to stay in. This is not the definition of his life. But there's more than just this situation. Amen. Your life is not just today. Music is powerful. They use music as therapy, not blues or country music. Don't listen to some song about a cowboy sitting at a bar whose girlfriend's just left him and his dog's just died. That's not going to help your mental health. It might be, it doesn't have to be praise and worship, but praise and worship is a great way to change the environment. It might be something instrumental that you enjoy. Change your environment. Fight. React. Set yourself a task. When you're having those days where you simply don't feel like you can do anything, set yourself one small task. It might be empty the dishwasher. It might be sweep the driveway. It doesn't have to be some mammoth thing. Just set yourself a task. Do the task. Do the task. Counseling may be necessary. There's nothing wrong with counseling. I would urge you, if you seek counseling, find a Christian counselor. Because a Christian counselor will approach things from a biblical worldview. A secular counselor will approach things from, there's not sin, there's just choices. If you're a Bible believer, use Christian counseling. I can, I can help with some of that and direct you with some of that if you need me to. Some of you here have already sought direction for me for some of that. But let me make this very clear. Whatever, whatever things you find that help you, you have to be involved. You've got to be involved in the process. Amen. You may need assistance in learning to arrest the thinking patterns. Because really that's a lot about what it is. It's the thinking patterns that lead to depression that try to hold us in depression. Now, if you feel like there is a spiritual component to your depression, get prayer. Ask for myself and the leaders to pray for you. Ask others to partner with you in prayer and to help you fight the fight. But stay in the fight yourself. I can't say, Brother Tristan, I'm feeling depressed. But you pray for me and just check out and go and lie on the couch. I've got to be involved. As, as limited as I may be, I've got to be involved. Brother Kuhn said this. He said, don't build your mansion in the swamp of despair. Don't set up home in that place. Amen. You, it, I know I'm saying these things like they're easy. They're not. I'm not making light of it. Sometimes it is incredibly hard, but you must fight, even in small ways. Brother Glass used to say, and I'm wrapping up with these comments. Brother Glass used to say that some of his favorite verses in the Bible were, was where it said, it came to pass. In other words, it wasn't going to stay. It came to pass. Old brother T.F. Tenney, who's passed away now, used to say that if you're going through hell, don't stop. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> don't stop. Keep going. Amen. We will come out the other side. Stand with me if you would this morning. Your depression is not your identity. 
Amen. God is not going to, if you will fight, however feeble that effort may be, and look, there are some days where you won't win, but you continue to fight, he will bring you out.